five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with Harpo. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We have a great, great episode for you tonight. We have our friend, one of my fellow corpsmen that uh, we were both in Iraq with, uh, Mr. Tyrone Kimbrough. Ty, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How about yourself, Rich? Good, good, good. Ty came on the deployment with us, and then I did some work with him afterwards, which we're going to get into. But just a quick introduction. Um, he's originally from Monroeville, Alabama. After 9-11, he decided to join the Navy, and he joined in 2004. He served for 14-plus years, did one deployment to Iraq and two deployments to uh, Afghanistan. So, And now, where, where are you living again? You're in Florida now, right? I'm in a place called Milton, Florida. It's, it's, uh, a lot of people down in this area call it L.A., Lower Alabama. I'm that close to Bama. Oh, all right. Very cool, very cool. So you guys are kind of similar next to the woods. Harpo is in LaGrange, Georgia, which is just south of Atlanta. So I'm upstream from Mr. Ty. I'm a, I'm a little higher north than he is. All right. So, so Ty, just give us real quickly. You said that you joined because of 9/11. Correct. So, like, kind of what? What? In, you know, what? In, where were you um, on 9/11, and what inspired you to join? Actually, on 9/11, I was um, I was actually at home. I had just suffered from a car accident probably the weekend prior to that. Oh. So. Ooh. I was actually sitting home and it just came across, you know, how the news bulletin comes across and says, hey, um, this is happening now. And my wife and I actually sat there and we watched the whole thing unfold on national TV. You know, and it was, it was just one of those moments where you like, you have a moment where in my mind, I'm like, I'd rather take the fight to the enemy there than, than to allow my family to, to go through this type of stuff. You right there. Oh, all right. All right. So you came now, Harpo and I were both in um, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. Now, if I remember correctly, you were temporarily sent to us uh, for the deployment from Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton. Is that right? Correct. Correct. All I, right. was, uh, I was a part of what they call the uh, MAP program, a medical augmentee program. Which is basically they just uh, during the height of Iraq and Afghanistan, what they did was um, Marine battalions that were going over. They took corpsmen who were stationed hospitals who were 8404, which is the designation for corpsmen that played with the Marines. They took 8404s from the hospital and shot them out to Marine battalions. That's how Ty ended up uh, with us. Correct. So what were, your, what were your first impressions of Iraq? My first impressions of Iraq was I was kind of surprised that they were still in the mentality that they wanted to fight. Because if you remember when we went over, it was after right after the uh, Saddam Hussein regime had been taken down. You know, mm -hmm. so, but when we made it there, we actually could see all the relics of all the different bombings and everything that they had taken out through the cities. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't even know why these people would want to fight if their city is going to get torn up this much. You know, but they still had a lot of fight in them. As the, the deployment progressed, what are some of the notable things that happened? Some of the most noticeable things I, I, I can remember were the people actually changing in their personalities and the way they interacted with um, the American soldiers. Um, when we first got there, they were kind of pushed off because I didn't, I didn't think maybe, maybe they're thinking that they couldn't trust us or whatever was going on through their minds. But I, I noticed throughout the deployment, they got closer and closer to us. They actually started stopping us, telling us where the IEDs were being planted, telling us where we can find the enemy, you know, and it, it, it actually show, showed us that they really wanted to make a change in, in the way that they were living. Nice. You know, Harpo, I, I, don't, I didn't really feel like we kind of got that similar experience. I kind of felt, and maybe it was us, but like the more and more we went on, the, the, the less and less the Iraqis kind of wanted to talk to us. You know, we bounced around a lot. We, uh, you know, we never really had, you know, like a golf company, box company, all them. They had their own little area of operations inside of the whole battalion thing. So they could, 
really get some good personal one-on-one time with really the, the locals uh, in that area. So I could see that. Right. That's why, I mean, we, we bounced around all over the place. So, I mean. right. And, it, and it's, it's really interesting that you say that because one of the areas um, right down in the, in the heart of Fallujah in the city, it was where those people really wanted to make a change. They even, I even noticed that mm. they started cleaning up the streets because what was happening is they were asking, if you guys remember, they were placing IEDs along with all the trash piles. But those people right. were like, okay, if you guys are here to help us, we're going to start cleaning up the trash piles and, you know, we're going to let you know what the IEDs are. You know, so, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, so, because I remember when I first got there, I was all motivated. I was like, oh, I'm going to learn Arabic and, oh, we're going to, like, really interact. And then after a couple of IEDs, you know, we took a step back. And granted, we were with the colonel. So we had yeah a little bit of a different situation where, you know, he wanted to do outreach, but since he was the battalion commander, uh, he had to maintain a little bit of distance from, um, you know, the Iraqis, uh, except of course on November 10th, where we went around to every single fob and mm. uh, blasted the Marine Corps him for the birthday. So I think we went to every location. There was a Marine at, I think so. I, we went beyond the fobs. <laughs> So, so Ty, what exactly did you do? Because um, you were with H&S Company, so what did you do? Correct. Well, with H&S Company, um, as you know, we're we're pretty much assigned to each and everybody, you know. So some weeks we I would go out with uh, go out with jump. Some weeks I would go out with what they call the fast team, you know. So we're we're kind of all over the place. Wherever they needed us at, that's what we were doing. You know, so I remember writing my um, just... my eval after returning, and it, it turns out I had over 400 different mounted or foot patrols when I was in Iraq. Yeah. Does that help you as a Navy, in the Navy, to get promoted as like a, a Navy corpsman in the Marines when you do field time with us? Does that help <laughs> towards it, promotions? It doesn't. doesn't help at all. No? Wow. Yeah, which is, it's one of the craziest things about being a corpsman, especially being a greenside corpsman, is that the rest of the fleet, like, unless they're in it, they have no idea. So you go over and you come back and you can have all this crazy combat time and they're just like, well, you know, welcome to the hospital. So, yeah, it can get a little frustrating. Right. There's some so, cool, there's lots of cool corners, but it can get a little frustrating. Right. We were actually too blue to be Navy and too blue to be Marines, you know, so we were yeah. kind of in the, in the middle. Um, I think the most yep. frustrating mm. part about it was a lot of the awards and stuff that you guys got as Marines, when we put our paperwork in, as far as getting um, written up for those different awards, they tell us that we were just doing our job. So we didn't really rate it. Sounds like them. Yeah. I got, I was very fortunate since I worked with the Colonel, my awards definitely got, I don't want to say fast track, but you know, since I worked with the Colonel, there was no question. I got my combat action ribbon, no problem. And all of the, um, the medals and everything, no problem. But that was just because I was with the Colonel and I know Ty, I know you. And then a couple of the other two seven corpsmen, you know, got lit up. And between, you know, taking forever with the cars and some of the other awards, it took a long time. Correct. Uh, well, a- yeah. as for myself, even even now, um, I actually submitted for my combat action ribbon like three or four times and they were all rejected. Oh, see, that's what Because they has, told us that we have to um, return fire in which as a corpsman, you know, we're not supposed to return fire. Yeah. That shit is crazy. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I was in a lot of conflicts, but I still never, I still never was able to get my combat action ready. What are some of the other significant events that occurred? Well, as as, as you remember, um, as I said, we we're over there right after uh, Saddam went down, and that was during the time of the election. And remember, mm-hmm. everybody was going around with the purple fingers, and you saw the big billboards around in the city with the purple fingers saying that they were getting ready to vote. And, and one of the most significant stories that I can remember was the election, where they were actually calling over to a lot of the uh, election booth, and the people weren't going in, and we were kind of surprised that they weren't. And once we called ahead and talked to EOD, they were actually bummed 
that was at the front doors of these election places. <laughs> so mm. we had to go out with ELD to help them remove those bombs so the people can go in and vote. Ooh, that's great. Yeah, they, they didn't detonate, though, right? No, they didn't. The thing I remember, and uh, Harbo, maybe you can back this up. The thing I remember most about Election Day is actually it went pretty smoothly because we were worried that we were going to get lit up. And then when that didn't happen, the colonel was pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I remember about Election Day is when the comm guy lost the CYZ-10. And Oof. All the, all the comm folks in the whole country had to jump through their loops and change all the crypto Ooh. and the radios. Right. That's all I remember about Election right. Day. Well, I, I was actually in, in the heart of the city um, during that day, and I think one of the greatest things that I that I really liked about the day was when I actually saw what they call a, a show of force. That means we had everybody coming through. We had tanks coming through, you know. Mm-hmm. We had we had the, uh, all kinds of planes and helicopters going across, you know. So those people were actually scared to come out there to try to start anything. So the people actually had a chance to vote. Yeah. Yep. That was definitely one of the highlights of the deployment for me. And then we started to push out uh, of Fallujah a little bit. So just to give a little bit of background, when we got there, we the, the, the city was split between us and another battalion. We had like the southern half of the city and parts uh, outside of it. And midway through, the city had been pacified enough so that we were able to give the entire city over to the battalion that was there. I forget exactly what battalion it was, but then we went and moved out to the outskirts of the city, which was great. And that was like the last month, maybe month, month or two of the deployment that we pushed out. So, right. Um, the battalion that we actually um, was doing pass down to was a uh, three, five, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think they relieved us, but the, um, the battalion that was in the Northern part of the city i forget who it was i do remember though harpo we did go to a memorial service for one of their marines that was killed yeah wasn't it like one eight something, something like, like that. that yeah i think it, i think it was a lejeune battalion but um i might be wrong about that too so right yeah you know um you know and out of all the things that that really happened to us over there i think one of the the things that I really think it would have went better is if our ROEs weren't so tight. Because if you guys remember, our rules of engagement change all the time. No shooting in the buildings. You may kill innocent people. You know? And and that gave... You had to blow a whistle and do all that. that gave them the ability to fire their weapons out their windows, and when they were done, they could just toss their weapons (laughs) out and nothing can happen. You know? So our ROEs changing so much really, really held our hands tied behind our backs, if you ask me. That's when them politics was telling Correct. us what to do. Yeah, that was that was tough. And I think, you know, the hard the hardest part, I think, for me is like when you were driving around and you saw a dude with like a beard who looked like he was like they didn't come till much later, but he looked like he was in what ISIS would be. You're like, all right, that guy's a shithead. Let's go hem this dude up. But yeah, we couldn't, you know, and then um, then like sometimes it was harder because like you saw you saw people and they were eyeing you and you were like, uh, is he a mooch or is he just a civilian who, you know, wants to drive his fucking kids to school and not get blown the fuck up? You know what I mean? Right. So like, you know, that's what I thought was was really, really tough, you know, because. Yes, yeah. I, I, one of the one of the uh, funniest stories that happened to me, we were over there in um, one area and we actually hemmed up a bunch of guys that were walking around the compound. So when we pulled him in, <laughs> the staff sergeant came out, and the sergeant major just happened to be there. And he he just started laughing. He was like, "Hey, you guys, you you did a great job. I see you have all their weapons and everything on the ground." And then he turns around and say, "He said, you know, those guys could have killed you, right?" And we're like, "No, why?" He was like, "Because they're Navy SEALs." <laughs> oh. <laughs> so they were actually dressed. Like the Iraqi people and looked like them and spoke the language and everything fluently. Damn. Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. That's woo. You guys got lucky. Woo. They got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's cool. That's cool. So let me ask you this. What are some of the medical experiences that you had over there? Oh, wow. I want to say it was like two maybe two to three days in there when we were doing left seat, right seat. 
We were actually pushing through Henry Street out in the middle of uh in the middle of Fallujah actually and uh Deal. I know you remember Deal. I'm Casey Deal, I remember Casey him. Deal, yep, he yep. was the A driver and I was the B driver. And as we were pushing through town, I actually saw spotted this bike with these fuel cans beside it. So I'm calling ahead because we're at a second Vic in a nine nine seven. And I'm like, hey, what's up with these cans? You know, and the staff saw was like, Yeah, Doc, you just paranoid. Nothing's gonna happen. Just come on through. So as we pushed by with the 997, they actually detonated the IED. So, you know, they were detonating the IEDs with the mm-hmm. cell phones. Mm-hmm. Just so happened, all 997 had pushed pretty much all the way through, and it lifted the back and just sat it back down. But there were a lot of civilians out there that ended up getting hit that day. There were a lot of people that got injured that day as well. Uh, Doc Ku, that was the same day he got injured. I remember that. Right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. And those experiences are the ones that you you really can't forget. Also, we had the challenge of whoever was responsible, they were giving the kids the grenades to throw on the back of our trucks and everything, the high backs. Do y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they were ringing them. So, um, and now I look back at it, you'll see a lot of the high backs now, they have like the little bad things or whatever, the, the nets across the top of them to prevent stuff from falling in the back of them. And we were really a part of that. But we were riding around in a 997. Everybody else had armor around their vehicles, but the 997 couldn't handle it because it was too, it would make it too heavy to drive. You know, so we had sandbags in the back of it. And just real quick, if you could, just for people who don't know, what is a 997 exactly? 997, the best way I can explain it to you, if, if you remember watching the movie MASH, it was the, it was the vehicle that always rode around with the big cross on the side to let people know that it was medical. Got it. So basically mm-hmm. like a big ambulance, pretty Correct. much. Cool. Yet, you know, so with the grenades, the one time that I was just really fucking happy when we killed somebody was, it wasn't our squad, but we rolled up to a fob and harpo i don't know if you remember this but there was it, it was i forget which fob it was but there was a squad from weapons company and the marine told us it was the sergeant major was there and everybody and the marine told us like yeah i saw this shit bag give a grenade to a kid and as soon as he saw me he took off running and i just raised up and i was just pop caught him once in the back of the head and that was it and like we all just like 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 sergeant major gave him a high five we we're all just like yeah good fucking job you know what i mean because like uh yeah, that dude yeah. just just wanted to like just giving grenades to kids. Nope, can't be fucking with that. So right, right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Cause I think that was Echo Company. They were right there on the main, main right, drag, right Echo. down the middle. Matter of fact, that that was uh yeah. that was where Doc Who got hit at. That was the day we got hit with the uh, IED mm. blast. Cause they were right. They were right in the right middle. On of, right, <laughs> right, right on Henry. Right on Henry Street. Yep. Right. Yeah. Then we had that little place down there called the yeah. Pizza Slice. You remember that? <laughs> where it went, it went from uh, that contractor's bridge that they called it, where they Correct. hung the heads off, you mm-hmm. know, south to the other bridge. And you know what? I'm a. I got a little story about the Pizza Slice. The most, yeah. the most scared I was, the entire deployment was we got to the Pizza Slice, and it was right around the time of these grenades, right? So we rolled yeah. into the Pizza Slice. And to give some people some background, the Pizza Slice was just this little section of town, and it had an open-air market that a lot of civilians would walk around in. So we got there. We had to dismount, so we had to walk the roof. So we get out, and all of a sudden, Harrison comes over the radio, and he's like, hey, watch out for grenades. And I was like, fuck, man. Like, all right, because if a grenade comes, we're surrounded by people. Like, you can either do one of two things. You can either pick the grenade up, throw it away and like potentially kill a bunch of Iraq or you can jump on the grenade and take the fucking blast. You know what I mean? And that's a pretty shitty two choices, you know? So we were walking, 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 walking. And finally Sergeant Paris came on the rail and was like, mount up. And luckily nothing happened while we were there, but just the fact of Harrison being like, yo, watch out for grenades. I was like, Oh fuck. So Yeah. Doc, was you gonna jump on a grenade? Woo! I right now I can say I would. <laughs> right now, in, in, in 2021, <laughs> when it's all over and done, I said I would. I would have earned a medal of honor. Yep, I would. But at the time, 
You know what? I don't need no street name after me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of my scariest times was when we were getting hit I, with all the IDs going through town, and they decided to make me the B driver inside yeah, one of the fuel uh, tankers. I'm like, I'm the only medical guy with you guys. Y'all want to mm. put me in a fuel tanker? Really? Is that smart? <laughs> Ooh. That's like playing Russian right. roulette right there, if I ain't ever heard it. So, um, yeah, man. So now let me ask you this, uh, Ty. So, you know, being a corpsman, we kind of straddle the boundary between Marines and the Navy. And, and when we're Marines, I feel much more like a Marine than I do a sailor. So what do you think was unique about being a doc? I think the, the unique thing about being a doc was, was the camaraderie that, that we had with the Marines. Um, as far as like when we first got with the Marines, like myself, I was actually attached to you guys, so they didn't really know me. So when I first got there, probably until that day we got hit with the idea mm-hmm. and I actually helped save lives, I was known as that boot corps. You remember that? Oh, uh, you're a boot. You yep. don't even belong with us, oh, yeah. you know. But after they, after the Marines actually knew that you knew your job, that's when you they gained more respect for you. So the whole dynamics changed after that. Hey, we're hard headed. <laughs> what can I say? You know, I think that it's the nice thing about being in the dock is that you're well, you're in there and you're with the Marines and you're you're doing it and you're you're part of the family and you're part of the team. Sort of the nice thing is that we don't have to deal with as much of the bullshit. Now, in Iraq, it's everybody's the same. Like in Iraq, everybody got to do the same shit, basically. Um, you know, but when you come home and the Marines are getting yelled at and they're getting screamed at, like we're just kind of like, uh, I'm going to go to BRS right, and just right. chill and hide. You know? like, <laughs> so we can do that. But, um, but yeah, but no, over there, everybody's basically the same. So, and, you know, Harpo. How did you guys consider Corman? We loved you when we needed you, no doubt. Yeah, well, I can say that. Yeah, but no, I mean, I, I personally never thought. I mean, you're there. To, you're there to do a job, just like we are. Like, like Ty said, you know, as long, as long as we, you know, as soon as we found out, you knew what you was talking about and doing, and we step out Indeed. of your way. It, it became you totally time. different. Um, once they knew that we knew our job, it's like we couldn't do anything. You know, no doc, sit down. You need water, we're gonna go get the water for you, you know. So that that mm-hmm. part really really made yeah. you you know, stick your chest out a little of the corpsman, like, yeah, I know my Marines got me because they know I got them. Now you yeah, cause you we could tell, you know, when one of them boot corpsmen would come and he'd be shaking with coming at you with a syringe. Right. Like, Whoa, wait, you gotta hit me in the right spot. Right. There ain't no, like, there ain't one of no the guys that was with us during that day. He actually froze up, and he was organic to the battalion, you know. So, and they were like, "Yeah, we thought he was mm-hmm. good to go, but you know, it is what it is." Doc, then I became Doc K. Because we want Doc K to go everywhere with us, you know. So, because I'm telling you, in the Marine Battalion, once you get marked as a shit bag or a, somebody who don't know how to do their job, it's hard right. to, hard to rebound mm-hmm. off of it. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I never once for a moment felt out of place or anything like. My father told me a cool story. A friend of his was a corpsman back, like either during Vietnam or right after. And he said he was, like, he was a boot. And he, this one Marine, this like Lance Corporal, was giving him problems. And either like a, a staff sergeant or a gunny, um, this, this Lance Corporal was riding him. And this, this uh, staff sergeant came up to this Lance Corporal and just in front of everybody, just, just knife handed him and hemmed him the fuck up and was like, listen, this guy's going to save your life if you're out there. Like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And so, like, I kind of, like, when I got there for a second, I was like, oh, is there going to be some shit like this? But, like, no, I never had any problems like that at all. So, you know, cool, cool, cool. So before we move on and talk a little bit about after Iraq, any other stories that you got? Yeah, I have a lot of stories from Iraq. Like I said, we, we actually went out with a lot of people. Um, and one of the units I used to love to go out with was, was the truck unit. Most of those guys, man, made you feel like you was on one of the one of the movies from L.A. Gang Centrals or something because they had a bunch of Mexican guys with them and they were so funny. They mm-hmm. they used to come across the go, "Hey, Holmes, we're gonna go in and do this, Holmes. Let's do it now." <laughs> so so one day we were going through the back side of uh of through downtown the, the city in there, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, "Hey, I'm in the second Vic. 
so I can actually see how high the truck was and how high the antennas were. And I'm like, hey, we don't need to go through this street. I was like, you see how, how low those power lines are? And once again, like Harpo said, the Marines are hard-headed, so the staff sergeant was like, hey, Doc can't see that well. We're going to push through. We pushed through. 30 minutes later, we shut down all the power in Fallujah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got the mission the accomplished, side. didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it make, hey, it make the price of MVGs go up over there. That, that, was, so, that was interesting. They, they, could, they could barely hit what That's they could true, see. And I think you know that was one of the smartest things that, that um, our battalion came up with. We started doing a lot of stuff at nighttime. And using, Shoot, our colonel, man. We, after they gave them the curfew. Oh, yeah, that's what, that's what I was saying. Your right, colonel, man, did. he used to love riding oh, the bike yeah. out. Man, we did it yep, all. Yep, yeah, that was yeah, that was that was all we did. Like, whew. he he would sit, he'd sit around exactly. and wait until it got they dark. Even made it a point we where, when we had to go in the city and pick up um, a prisoner or something, they wanted to wait until night before we went in. Yeah, which I was fine mm-hmm. with. I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Ain't <laughs> like I had a hot date to go to. No, so. The one story about Ty that I remember in Iraq, we sat on the board to get our FMF pin. So real quick, the FMF pin is a little, it's like a warfare designation and you study and you go in front of a board to take the test. And Ty, it was me, you, I think, or was the other corpsman because there was three of us. And then it was Chief Crane right. and somebody else. For one of the parts, we had to do a demonstration and it was, we had an M16 <laughs> A2. And there were no bullets in it. I know what this is going. You know where this is going. Yeah. There's no bullets in it, right? But one of the questions was, so what happens if you shoot somebody in the middle of a battle? You shoot somebody and you can tell that your BZO is off, right? Like your targeting is off. And I was like, I was like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to adjust for my uh, windage. I'm going to use Kentucky windage, which is you just turn, you know, a little bit. And Chief was like, all right, like, what would you do exactly? So I took the uh, M16 and just sort of like, if I can, went across the entire room and everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, I was like, I guess that's what I do. And they're like, all right, you pass. <laughs> the whole room yeah. hit the deck. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I can't remember what the, the exact uh, question uh, was, but one of the questions that I had everybody in there cracking up off of, it was, um, it was talking about the radio or something. We had to break down the acronyms and they got to the S. And it was like, so Kimbro, what did the S stand for? I said, radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my man. So cool. Yeah. So we went on the deployment, all came back, and then you went back to the hospital you went like straight right, to camp pendleton camp. pretty much so now a couple of months later well more like a year or so later i two seven deployed again in 2007 and i was the remain behind corin for this pump and maybe like a month or two into it i get a call from the fucking what was the admin in uh 29 palms come wow. called again i forget so then i get a call from the <laughs> navy admin whatever they're called and the they're like hey you guys got a new corpsman he says he knows you he just checked in come on down and meet him so i'm like all right cool so i go on down there and who is it poof it's ty and i'm like what happened he's like ah i was going to x-ray tech school but it didn't work out so here i am so he was back with the battalion and we so then we picked up and it was it was me ty charles who and Dirk Elena, who Elena was a new corner who broke his leg like two weeks into deployment. He was with Echo. Yeah. No, excuse me. He was with Fox. And he broke his leg like two weeks into deployment. And he came home. So we had this little remain behind element. And like it was actually a pretty crazy job because we were chasing around. Well, actually, we were tracking all of the wounded Marines. And every Thursday we were going down to Balboa and visiting all the wounded marines so did you did you what was that experience like and what did you learn to from me that? it was it was it was one of the things that that really made me appreciate my job as a corpsman 
I can't remember his name, but that was a Lance Corporal that got um, one of his arms amputated. I don't know if you remember him. We went down, and he was getting off the elevator, and some guy was yelling at him. And he was like, man, this guy trying to tell me to, to roll my sleeves down. God just got my arm in, and it had tattoos on it. But we rolled our sleeves up because we're from 27, 29 Palms, and that's where all the badasses are from. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, so that made me see, you know, even though this guy like lost it. his arm, he still has the mentality that, you know, he still want to serve his, his country, you know. So that was that was definitely a change in the way I thought about it. His his name now remember yeah he was little Mendez yeah because there were two Mendezes and two Mendezes got wounded with Fox and he came home he got wounded in the big bridge attack with Fox and the thing I remember about Mendez what he liked to do he had a so he had a, um an artificial hand because he lost his arm and he would go out to people to shake their <laughs> yeah. hand and then pull his hand off and start screaming ah <laughs> yeah he was a nut <laughs> he was a cool guy though he was a cool guy. So, yeah, because that was interesting, you know, because th that was sort of the other side of the deployment equation, you know, or the other side of the deployment coin, so to speak, because, like, it was interesting seeing, you know, what happened on the reverse side. I actually we had, you know, we had to call the wives of Marines that were wounded. Not we didn't make like the initial notification, but like after they had been notified once, like we had to follow up with them and like, you know, talked with some parents and wives who quite understandably were really worried and really beside themselves because their husband got wounded really bad. Just interestingly enough, one of the corpsmen who got wounded was Doc Anthony Thompson. And I interviewed his wife, Yvonne, for another project. And this is crazy. But just last night, I had a dream about him and he was like awake again. And we were talking. And that's really crazy. But yeah, like little stuff like that would happen. And like, guys would stick out in your brain right. you know what i mean and then also you so know, they always express their gratitude towards us for just coming that far to see them you know to let them know that they were still thought about you know so that made a difference mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely definitely so you deployed to afghanistan in Correct. 2008 with 27 so can you talk a little bit about well, that deployment was it was it was different from the jump the whole deployment was totally different when we actually when we initially flew in we were actually sitting at the airport, I want to say, for almost two days just because they wanted to develop a new area for the American soldiers. They said they didn't want us to be around the Dutch women and all that kind of stuff. So it was initially just Camp Bastion, and then by the time they finished with the other one, it was Camp Bastion 1 and Camp Bastion 2. So they kept us separated from everybody else. They were worried about the Dutch? Yeah, they were. They were. I guess they thought we were going to create a new race or something so over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the mentality of the people over there was, um, was like totally different. Because like I said, if, the way I saw in Iraq, the people over there really wanted to make a change. The people in Afghanistan, they really didn't care for us at all. You know, we, we were just there to serve a purpose. And the purpose wasn't to yeah. make their livelihood any better. Myself included, I was trying to figure out why we were there. You know, I mean, I know we were there in Iraq to try to help the people over there to try to 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 build a democracy, but I still couldn't figure out why we were in Afghanistan. But that deployment was different in the way they handled things over there was different. The way they fought was different. For instance, in Iraq, you could just the rules the rules engagement were the rules of engagement different. Was like, hey, Sorry. even 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 all the leadership was like, never meet a friend that you can't kill. You know, so everything was different. Over there, the IEDs were like mm -hmm. double and triple stacked. So if you hit an IED in Iraq, if you guys remember, mm -hmm. a lot of times, even with the smaller vehicles, you can drive right through and, and keep going half the time. In Afghanistan, if you hit an IED, you were done. You know, there was no ifs, ands about it, about it, you know. But uh, uh, also, they knew our tactics. Um, those guys in the places like Nalzad and Sangin, those areas was were, were the real real hot spots. So what they were doing is, if if you remember, they fought the Russians over there for like ten years and defeated the Russians. So they still had a lot of bombs and a lot of um, ordnance left from that kind of stuff. So they had those places where they knew we would come in, and 
the way we were trained to go in and hit the walls, to use the walls for covers, they had IEDs lined along those walls. So they were that smart. You know, so the way they fought us was, was totally different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard that in terms of just sheer ferocity, the Taliban and the Afghans were just were way more good. fearsome than the Iraqis were. I mean, and they were diligent from from, yeah. from the morning when they said their prayer to the time they go to sleep. They were trying to kill somebody. So, And what did you do exactly um, in this deployment? Were you H&S again? Uh, I was actually okay. the, the very first and- corpsman to uh, occupy Bob Delaram. Yep, the very first one. Okay. When we made it there, there was nothing was there was about maybe five Palcon cans. You know, so that 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 was kind of mm-hmm. that was kind of unique. Um, that experience was was different as well. <laughs> and you remember um, earlier you were talking about how the corpsmen were different from the Marines, except for when we were in country. One instance over there, they kept trying to pull me out to come do one of the working parties, right? You know, so. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to do that. So, so one day, one of the sergeant majors came out, and they decided they wanted to team up. Sergeant major, the uh, staff sergeant, and the sergeant came in a little BAS area, and it was like, hey, we're here, and you don't want to go out on the working parties with these guys, you know? Uh, we need everybody to be the same, and and we we need you to do the same job they do. So me, being a witty guy, I am. I said, so staff sergeant, I said, what's the, what's the uh, proper rate? or post rate for a person. He said, I don't know. I look at the staff sergeant and I was like, so what's the what's the regular temp for a person? He said, I don't know. I looked at the sergeant major. I said, Sergeant Major, do you know anything medical? He said, No, Doc. He said, That's your job. I said, You're exactly right. That's my job. So get your ass on my BS so I can do my job. You know, so <laughs> and at first that didn't go across that well. He was talking about writing me up, you know, you see the whole nine yards. Um, but happened what happened that day was uh they went out to the bazaar and a bunch of people got injured and they and we were bringing the people in and I took two junior corpsmen and we saved nine out of eleven people that day. And one of the same people that mm. was complaining about me not doing the working parties came in the BAS and he was in actual tears talking about you're my hero. You know, and I'm in there, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm your hero. Let me break down to these junior guys what happened, you know, because when they see that much death at one time or that much, that many injuries, you know, it gets really bad on them, you know, so, yeah, so those that that was one of the days I, I really remembered over there, you know. Interesting, all right. And uh, are there any other stories or any other memorable moments uh, from just, Afghanistan? I think Afghanistan was just it was just one of those um deployments that was at one point it didn't seem real until you really got heated you know into the, the to the different conflicts um of course there are a lot of crazy things that happened over there um of course when when our marine brothers got bored they did a lot of things that kept you laughing <laughs> for instance that that area in Delaware when we first moved in there was this little pond in the back, and you could clearly tell that people were, were using the bathroom upstream in this thing, and it was just floating all the way through the area. So I'm telling the guys, hey, don't don't go swimming, because I know that's what's in your mind. You see water, you want to jump in it. Two days later, they went swimming. Two days after that, they came in the BS. <laughs> I turned the light off and hit them with the black light, and they were literally glowing. You know, <laughs> so, oh, so we couldn't figure out what they got oh, into. So we had to end up flying those guys yeah. out to Germany. Oh. You know, so yeah, so Oof. that was it was it was crazy over there. And then oh. one of the guys uh, for the Fourth of July, he decided he wanted to go to the city and bring out watermelons and everything else that they grew there. He was like, "Yo, Doc, man, these watermelons are huge." I was like, "You don't see what's flowing into them? They got a lot of fertilizer." You know, so. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, man, I would be, oh, I would be hard pressed. After we talked about it when we had Harrison on the program, after our, uh, my, uh, our, our encounter with the Iraqi food, I, I don't think I'd eat shit in Afghanistan, it, it man. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, um, 
Nope. On my mm. last deployment, though, mm. I was actually with uh, LAR in 2011. Okay. That deployment was different because I, I was no longer doing, like, foot patrols. I was mostly riding around in the VIX with them. Um, but the most memorable part over that was we actually took over the castle, which was the area that supposedly Alexander the Great built when he was over there with his reign of terror. You know, so that was kind of cool to, to actually occupy mm. that area. Actually, I remember I interviewed Sean Paul Brinston, who was another corpsman, and he talked a little bit about the castle. And he said, now, if I'm not mistaken, he said that either the Afghan police were cool and the army was awful well, was or vice versa. It, it all depending on what area you was in. They change up in their area because, you know, you have different people over there. We actually had a, a dog that they actually picked uh-huh. up, I want to say in 2005, when they initially made that push in Afghanistan. And this dog was so loyal to American soldiers that no Afghan person could get anywhere near our compound without this dog going crazy trying to bite him. You know, so so it, it was totally different That's over there. Cool. And that area was was kind of it was kind of yeah. bad. Um, I wanted one of the stories, one of the coolest stories over there, though. Do you remember who was the sergeant major back in two thousand eight? Oh. I forget no, his name. Was it, was it um, Brookshire? You remember who Barrett was with, right? Right. But he was with, he was with 2-7, remember? Uh, Barrett <laughs> was there when we were there. In, in Iraq. The Iraq time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, when when he was um, yeah, yeah. he actually mm-hmm. flew in. Yep. They uh, took a bird out to the castle. It was him oh. and I think I want to say it was the, the master chief of the Navy and all of them, you know, they flew out and everybody wanted to take pictures with them and everything, you know, treating them like superstars. So I was like, hey, you guys want to see some staff sergeants go crazy? He was like, Doc, man, you're always doing something crazy. I was like, watch this. So I waited until everything got kind of kind of quiet. And I stood up. I was like, hey, what's going on, Sergeant Major? Like that, right? <laughs> so staff sergeant was like, I can't believe this court yeah. this doc trying to grab this, trying to walk up to the sergeant major. You know who that is? And Sergeant Major turned around. He was like, "Hey, that's Doc K. It's Doc K, man. Get your ass over here." <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, he know him, you know." So I was standing there talking to him. He was like, "He looked at me. He was like, Doc K, man, what you doing over here? We just left Iraq." I was like, "Yeah, I know, I know." I was like, "But they always grabbing the same people and bringing them in, you know." So it was that was kind of funny. They was like, "Yeah, you actually know the Sergeant Major," you know. So yeah, that was kind of cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, he he went on to be the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. Yeah, cause yeah, he was sergeant major for a little bit. Not, he probably retired right after that. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, so. like, you well, remember, cool, cool. Um, actually, came over. Um, they came over. I want to say it was in two thousand eight. It was some type of little strike team that they brought in medical, but they actually took one of the MRAPs and converted it into a medical vehicle. Yeah, that was that was that was really interesting. Oh. Especially considering we had what we call an MRAP cemetery over there. We had like thirty to forty MRAPs that was destroyed. Oh. You know, so but yeah, it was it was, mm. it, was it was one of those guys and I actually ran into him just before I got out of the uh military at uh, Camp Lejeune. Yeah, he actually became the CO at the oh, hospital nice. there. You know, and, they, and I was telling people before he got there, I was telling them, like, walk like you're walking on eggshells around this guy because he don't pull punches, and he's real about the military. They didn't listen. The first day we're sitting mm-hmm. in a meeting, one of the guys made one of the jokes. You know how, how the doctors are. They want to get their little funny time in. The guy said a joke, and he went in. <laughs> And then they looked over there at me. He was like, <laughs> he was like, Kimbro, like, stand up. And he went through the whole spiel. Yeah, Kimbro, he's the guy that helped save all the people over in Afghanistan. You know, I know this guy, and he, and he knows his job. If he don't know his job, he'll learn his job because that's what 27 did. You know, so even to this point, that, that, was, mm-hmm. that was great knowing that we had such an influence on people. One of the one with the Marines though, like uh, three days into my last deployment with LAR, I was telling the junior corpsman, I was like, "Hey, when the Marines get bored, you're gonna see a lot of interesting stuff." You know, so three days into it, we we're just setting up the BS area, and this Marine walks into the BS holding this shirt. 
And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be good. That's the guy. They pull out the pen and the tablet. We're about to start documenting everything now. They pull out the tablet. I was like, so what happened, Devil Dog? He said, well, what happened was that that was the cue to let me know that it was going to be really interesting. He said the guys in the, in the office space, they double dared me. Uh, they no balls me to take the canned air and to spray my nipple. This guy sprayed his nipple on when he took his hand down, his whole nipple was just dangling. Mm. So I just grabbed it and just pulled it off and put tape over it. And we flew him out to Germany. <laughs> oh man. We had um we had I don't know if you were there for this tie. So in 07 when the baton was deployed, we were at second Marine regiment and we're, there was this corpsman. He's a senior chief. Now he's still in, his name was Josh drew and he was a real cool guy. So one of his Marines came in and he's like missing a couple teeth. And like, I was, I was helping him with the sick hall and um, the, you know, drew was like, all right, so what happened? And this Marine was like, well, so I went to Vegas and I just got married and like, I'm driving back from Vegas with my new wife. And like, I stopped and somebody at the fucking gas station started talking shit. So I had to fight him and I got into a fight and got my tooth knocked out. And we were like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. So he doesn't send on his merry way. Like 20 minutes later, another Marine walks in to the BAS and Drew is sitting behind the desk and he's like, all right, what's up? And the Marine smiles and he's missing his front teeth. And without missing a beat, <laughs> Drew was like, oh shit, it's the best man. Like, I don't know. I can't remember if you were there for that, but I was sitting there and I was dying. I was dying. So, oh, all right. So, so moving on. You know, actually, to to get serious for a minute. You know, the Afghanistan deployment from you know from just about everybody I, I spoke to in two seven was a real real difficult deployment. And you know, a lot of guys, not everybody, but a lot of guys who did Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, thought the Afghanistan one was much more brutal and. You know, one of the things that unfortunately is haunting 2-7 is there uh, have been a lot of Marines um, have committed suicide uh, in the years following it. And I know that a lot of that, um, you know, is related to the deployment in Afghanistan. So just want to talk a little bit about your post-military life and, you know, what has been some of the positive things, what have been some of the I negative mean, the, things, um, and, you know, what have you carried you with you? said that the Afghanistan deployment was, was a really harsh deployment, especially on 2-7. Um, right now, if you look on the Internet, it says that um, in 2008, the battalion, it talks about the statistics, and we actually had, like, 20 men to get killed. We had, like, 160 wounded. We had, like, maybe 30 of those guys had amputees. You know, so that, that deployment was really bad. And you can't, in the area of Sangin, actually, when we used to go in Sangin, most of the time we would actually turn around and salute each other because we knew somebody wasn't going to come out of there. You know, so it, it, it was really bad on us over there. So I guess a combination of things that started accumulating on people and everybody really can't, no one can unsee what they've seen, you know. But everybody handled things differently. And myself, I'm, I'm a firm believer in God. And, and I do believe that my belief in God and, and my spirituality is what helps me to, to somewhat remain calm when, when I have those thoughts. You know, um, I think one of the one of the best things mm -hmm. that happened, though, and I think it was my first time seeing you, Rich, in a long time was when. They decided to fly us all out to California, and we had a chance to meet up. Yep. That, that was that was really needed, and we had a chance to exchange phone numbers and everything. You know, and we talked to guys that we hadn't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was great. I I wish you could have come, Harpo. The um, there was the two seven reunion back in twenty sixteen, and yeah, I got to see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a real long time, and um, yeah, it was really cool just seeing everybody. Catch there was supposed to be another one in Texas, and I had signed up for that one. Uh, but that was all. That was yeah, yeah. Corona. Yeah, corona if I'm not mistaken, it was supposed to be like last July or something. And, yeah, yeah. COVID. I did sign, I did sign yeah. up for that one. And COVID, COVID, unfortunately, took a big shit on it. But, yes, it, right. it's, if they have another one afterwards, I'm definitely going to Yeah, definitely that gave go us the opportunity. Because it was, yeah, it was really, 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 really cool. Um, so. But in a way, it kind of hurt because it, it – 
actually made us actually sit down and talk to people about what really happened. And a lot of those stories, like myself, unlike a lot of people, that's mm-hmm. that's the way I, I bury those emotions. You know, I don't talk about it. You know, and a lot of those guys, when they started talking about it, you know, it just brought up all kinds of memories, you know. So it was kind of bittersweet. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I agree. It was it was definitely more sweet. But, yeah, there was definitely some, you know, it was, it was sad talking to a lot of guys. And, like, um, you know, I met Mike Washington's father. Michael Washington came out and, you know, got to talk to him a little bit. And, you know, that was a trip. I ended up also interviewing a woman named Margarita Reyes, who is the sister of Corporal Elias Reyes, who unfortunately is one of the Marines who killed himself um, afterwards. So I interviewed her and, and, and got to speak to her. But um, but yeah, but, but yeah, you know, every day is just kind of it kind of comes and goes. You know what I mean? I had actually this weekend was kind of feeling a little bit down about stuff i'm actually really excited to be talking to you guys tonight i was like ooh, get to get to do something a little bit a little bit different but yeah it just sort of kind of right, ebbs right. and flows uh, and comes and goes you know what i mean you know you've been watching you, you've been watching the i've been i've been kind now. of I, this weekend i took a little break actually so yeah, I said, I said, you know what? We're not going to be talking politics this this week, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to right. tune it out but, for um, a little bit. So. That'll make you help. That, I, that'll I make agree. You right there. <laughs> I agree. And and hopefully, and, and we didn't have any squirrel shit in my uh, balcony this weekend too. So, um, and Ty, I got a squirrel running loose that likes to shit on the balcony yeah. in my apartment. Hey, but so the difference. Um, Hey, <laughs> the difference between um my 2008. And I didn't told him. I didn't told him how to fix it. Was, was the way we came back. Um, you know, in 2008, when we actually came back, mm. with two seven being the way they are, we actually came back and had maybe what, maybe a couple of weeks off, and then we were right back training. So nobody really had a chance to decompress, you know. And I think that really had. A lot of a lot of things to do with the way people reacted when they came back because they were still ready to be, you know, reactive instead of proactive. And in 2011, before we came back, they actually made us stay in country for two weeks right. to decompress, to do nothing with war whatsoever, you know, and had a chance to people to talk to mental health and everything over there. So that was able they were able to start up a lot of papers mm. to get everybody in the system. So once we made it back. If you really needed to go see mental health, they were sending us to mental health, you know. But the stigma of, of most of the uh, Marines, especially over there, was if you go on to medical, it's weakness. If you go on to mental health, it's a definite weakness, you know. And a lot of people really needed to go talk to somebody, talk to some professionals. But because they felt that they were, they were going to be considered soft, they didn't want to do that, you know. And I think that that hurt a lot of people. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think there's a, a tension. It does. It does. Even, Doc, even I with, still uh, think that hurts a lot of people. Um, a lot of the VAs you won't know? even see you if you didn't have those injuries documented in your medical record. So a lot of people who messed up their knees, their feet, or whatever they did in, in country, or even on their mm. everyday time in the military, if you didn't go to medical for it, then the VA somewhat refused to see you for it. It's the same. Yep. yep. I noticed one of the things with the Marine Corps, there was a sort of a tension between, on the one hand, they got to keep us all motivated and ready to fight. But if you push a guy too much, then he's going to have these problems and eventually he's going to break. And everybody's got their breaking point. You know what I mean? So that that's what it is. And then coming out, you know, coming out, it's, you know, I, I've been very fortunate. The VA has, I've had some positive experiences with the VA. I know guys, though, who have had, you know, real bad experiences and, you know, some guys, yeah, who have like real, real, real tough time. And it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with their post-traumatic stress. They're dealing with, you know, the issues that they, you know, saw and all the things over, they saw over there. And they're not the, the, the VA is giving them the fucking runaround and they're not able right, to really I'm get the help that they need. I know that's fucking a lot, lot of dudes up too. on um, PTSD. Um, Cause for a long time, even with the VA, they were telling people, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, PTSD isn't that bad. You can heal from that, you know." But they starting to realize that most of the people who have the PTSD, they were actually, they were actually in the war, 
You know, they actually saw people get killed. They actually saw people die, you know. Um, and, like, uh, I used to go out with, with Chief a, a lot when I was over in uh, Afghanistan on the first one. And I can actually remember going to the main area, and we had so many people that were getting killed that they were actually having to put bodies in regular deep freezers. We had to take food out of deep freezers to put all people in, you know, and seeing that kind of stuff by us being unprepared, that really hurt. We didn't even have any air support when we were over in, um, over in Afghanistan in 2008 until the mule came in, you know? So we were taking a lot of injuries and mm. a lot of stuff happened over there that we had no control over, you know, and that, all that kind of stuff just, just, gets balled up in you, you know, and you hold it in, you know, and you you deal with it the best way you can. But when it all comes out, it all comes out at once. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Not my, you know, one thing I'd say to every, you know, Marine soldier or you know, every veteran who was over there is if you're having issues, you're not weak, you're not a little bitch, like it's going to catch up with everybody eventually. So go get help, go talk to somebody, and, you know, go, if you need stuff, go to the VA and see what they can do for you because yeah, you're not doing, you're eventually you're going to break. And that's not on you. You, it's, it is what it is. Now, um, one of the issues that I'm um, dealing with now is being older. Um, I'm more concerned with the livelihood of my family. And, you know, none of us know the day and time when we're going to die. So right now I'm actually looking for more life insurance that I can put on myself. But since they have the stigma of PTSD and they think everybody who has PTSD, they're either going to commit suicide or they're going to kill somebody. Now the life insurance people don't even want to sell you life insurance. Yeah, that's a trip. That's a trip. That's a trip. <sighs> well, in a little bit of a, a, a happy news, I had my boss at my job just got out of the military today it was his like literally his first day of being a civilian so i sent him a couple uh some funny memes and like we were going back and forth so um you know the military but you know i, I always told him i was like you know like your, your time in the military is going to end but you know don't don't hesitate to go and like right. say, go to the va and go right. do all these things because it never really ends you know what i mean so hey, i got a, i got a funny saying for you you know it just keeps mm -hmm. on and on and on what so. a concept <laughs> <laughs> Remember that was senior chief Raymond thing, boy. Yeah, so. you say that made sense. He just looked at you like, like you, like you just the dumbest yeah, person yeah, around yeah. him. Ooh, what a concept! <laughs> you know, actually, you know something. I'll, I'll tell you one story about Raymond. Because all right, so there was this guy, senior chief Raymond, and he and I did not get along, and oh. We did not get along. And I held a grudge against him for a while. But you know what? Many years later, I wrote him a nice email and kind of, um, we, we definitely buried the hatchet. It was, it was really nice and really positive. So like, yeah, I joke around about it with Ty, but um, that's another thing too. One other thing I'm gonna say, in, in, as well as uh, going and going to the VA, if you got any beef or anything with anybody and i it was very few people it's cnc frame and one of the one or two other people but like Correct. if you got any beef or anything like you don't know when these people are gonna go you know what i mean like so because like thompson thompson so doc thompson was a great great doc a real good corpsman um but he was kind of hard-headed and he and i butted heads a couple times you know and then in 2007 you know he went and he deployed and unfortunately he got hit by an IED and is in a vegetative state now. And I went and I interviewed his wife and I got to see him and it, it was, it was real nice seeing him. But like, you know, to this day, I still feel a little bad sometimes when I think about it. Maybe that's why I had this dream last night. I was like, fuck, you know, me and Thompson didn't necessarily leave on the best terms. You know what I mean? So, you know, make sure that you are, you are taking hands with people and, and, and right. keeping things good because yeah, it can, it can end in a flash, and you don't want that to happen. That went over with us in 2008, over to um, Afghanistan, and this guy he stayed getting in trouble as a junior corpsman. Two days before deploying, he actually flipped his car out on the backside of uh, 29 Palms, doing 120 miles per hour, and came out of there with nothing but a couple of scratches on him. 
you know. So it was like, hey, you still got your trigger finger. You can still walk. You're still going on a deployment. Yeah. We take this guy over, and he made a complete turnaround in his personality. He actually really wanted to learn his job, but he was always motivated to get out there. You know, he wanted to go on patrols with the Marines. He wanted to do his job. Um, unfortunately, the day of that attack I was telling you about, his vehicle got hit with an IED, and he was only 17 years old, and he got burned up in the in the uh, in the back of that the vehicle he was in. And myself and uh, Doc Sergo were the ones that had to get him out of there. You know, so so you're right. You have to make mm. peace with everybody. Yep. And you know, right. So I don't want to say his name because I don't I don't want to bring anything up. But I have a part two to that story. So he was, you know, he was killed and he was sent home and they had his, he was from Riverside, California. So this is right after I got out of the Navy. I was living in LA at the time and he, they had his funeral in Riverside, California. So I said, cool, I'm going to go out and drive, drive out to it. And it was like, you know, us, Gamboa, HM3, he was HM3 Gamboa, who was the RBE corpsman for two seven at the time. It was a couple of Marines from 2-7, me, Gamboa. But, like, the Marines that they sent didn't really know this corpsman at all. You know what I mean? It was good the battalion sent him, but they, like, they didn't know him. But I, like, I did. So we're going through, and his, his mother and father are there. And, you know, we're going down the line, and, you know, we're, like, shaking hands. And, like, you know, the Marines are being very respectful. They're like, you know, we're very sorry for your loss. But they didn't really know him. So then I got to his father, and I was like, hey, you know, I knew you. I'm from 2-7, just got out. I knew your son. And his father was just like, oh, my God, you knew him and just like, like embraced me. It was just like crying in my uh, crying in my arms. It was like it was it was pretty, pretty powerful and emotional. All I, all I could say is, hey, he was a you know, he was a good corpsman. He was a good guy. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very sorry for your loss. I don't you know. So but like even but just for like a minute, if I could like just be, you know, there for him for just, you know, just just for the 30 seconds that he needed to just kind of right. be with me and cry in my right. arms. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, it was worth the trip out there. You know what I mean? So. Did a lot of stuff, you know, had a lot of experiences, um, some good, you know, some, a lot of them were bad. Um, Doc Amin, I don't know if you had a chance to meet Amin. Well, Amin was one of the corpsmen that, that actually lost a leg over in uh, Afghanistan. Um, but anyway, right over there, like I said, they had a lot of the, what they call I do remember him. and everything. So we were telling all the junior corpsmen, hey, when you get out, stay behind the minesweepers. I mean, jumps out of the vehicle and, and he runs through and he ends up losing a leg, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chief and I, we ended up going over to the, the Roll Three Hospital. Yeah. And this guy, he was, once again, he was in such good spirits, even though knowing he lost a leg, right? But but we went in thinking he was going to be sad and this guy had us cracking mm-hmm. up. We go in and we're like, Chief was like, so, so how you doing? I mean, he was like, man, I'm good. He said, do you see all these women in here? And Chief was like, yeah, uh, they're like the Dutch women, and, and most of them are kind of heavy set. He said, man, I like a heavy set woman. I'm in heaven right now. <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> you know? So we started that talking to him. And then um, just before we left, he said, but Chief, I got one question for you. And Chief was like, what's that? He was like, do I still get paid? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah so um uh one of the things about you know I guess a lot of the people who've gotten out of the military amin actually came up to camp lejeune just before i got out and he was actually traveling around doing the paperwork to help a lot of marines and corpsmen to, to get the benefits that they actually deserve so he was showing them what what route they needed to take as far as what forms they need to fill out for the va and the whole nine you know so he still stayed true to the game and, and and did what Corbin do, help people. All right. And you know what? I think that's an excellent point for us to end it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I could talk all night, but we got to wrap it up. But, Ty, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank Thank you for sharing your stories. And um, last, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to say before we go? I'm good. You know, we never did have that that motivation, motivational thing that that the Marines, you know, how they had, 
just just one thing. You remember when the Marines used to say they hoorahs or used to say hua because <laughs> the neighbor didn't never did have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I think we actually came up with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, hey, it, it was good talking to you, Rich. And um, you know, I think a lot of more people need to really do this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes when you bring up and you talk about some things, it, it brings a lot of things just to light to let you realize that uh, life is really, it really matters even after you get out of the military. You know? so, yep. I agree. All right, everybody. Well, Ty, thank you again. Harpo, thank you again. And everybody, thank you for listening. Stop. Stop. And we will next week. <laughs>